Welcome in to part two of our conversation with Mike Moran. He is uh, known as Killer from the Texas Hangman, Mike Richards. We had so much fun talking to him that, as you just heard at the end of last week's show, it was kind of decided spur of the moment by Mick Karch making the uh, executive decision that uh, we were going to take a part two, and I think that was the right call. Let's go ahead and bring in Mick and Mike. Guys, I mean, for part one was unbelievably well-received. There's, I'm just, I'm, I'm really happy and we haven't even gotten to to some of the good stuff. So I want to start it off right here, Mike. We're going to start off with a bang. Tell me the Michael Hayes story. Oh goodness. We're going to start out with a shit story. All right. (laughs) Well, so Michael Hayes and I, I had worked him with Kenny J as the Freebirds, but for whatever reason at the studio in Minneapolis, they decided to put me with Michael Hayes in the singles. And he used to do this finish where he would do this, where he hit his chest and he'd punch you. Well, when he punched you, he would really punch you right in the face. And he hit me so damn hard that when I fell back, I shit my pants. And this is on TV. Now, you can't see anything because I had underwear on. So I come back, and I pull Frankie DeFalco to the side, who's a good friend of mine, and I go, bro, I shit my pants. He's like, what are you going to do? You got another match. I go, I don't know. So I go into the bathroom, show Frankie. He goes, oh, my God. God. In my defense, it wasn't a full shit. It was more like a shard on steroids. It was, it was, you know, wasn't all there. But anyway, too much. To, I, t- I took my underwear off. I tried to rinse them off in the, the sink. Didn't work. So I just took my underwear and I put them in, t- in the garbage can. And I just wondered, did Vern get a call a couple days later saying, hey, one of your wrestlers shit, put some shitty underwear in the garbage. But anyway, so I went back out the next match. Free balling, commando, first time ever. And uh, yeah, shit happens. Yeah, free birds, free balling, huh? Uh, yes. Free, free yes. ball because of the free birds. Free well, I mean, free birds, did, yeah. Did he know what happened, like, in the middle of the, like, right then and there? Did it was he know the, what happened? I'm sure when he covered me, he was probably, like, it smells a little shitty in here, but, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, and, but he didn't say anything. I walked back quietly. I didn't want anyone to know. I was a little embarrassed. First time it was that probably, probably the first time that Dave Meltzer actually said this match is the shits. It might have been, and he would have been very good. That four-star rating, and then you go to the shit. So I would have gave you a two-star rating. I think it was yeah. a minus five-star rating after that shit. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Speaking of Vern Gagne and those those great old enhancement days, you know, we've talked about the difference between enhancement talent, mid-card guys, main event guys. You really went – you kind of skyrocketed. It was almost an overnight – situation with the AWA. Not that she didn't pay your dues right. for a long time, but in terms of where you were on the roster, you went from enhancement to teaming up with Rick as the Texas hangman. Yep. How did that feel? How did that come about? Because that's a rarity when guys are elevated that fast. Well, you know, to me, it really was because the only time I can think of anything even similar was when Paul Pershman, who was a job guy for mm-hmm. it, became Buddy Rose. Right. You know, but yeah, it was, but you got to keep in mind, we were jobbers from 1983 to 1988. And then in 1989 is when we got our shot as the hangman. So yeah, it was, it was shocking. But at the same time, I think Greg just really realized that we had paid our dues. And you got to remember, we didn't only do jobs for Vern. For many years, we were doing jobs for WBE too, WF. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. There'd be times I'd be on TV as on, on WWE Superstars Challenge. I'd be on three times a weekend sometimes getting my ass kicked. So how do you push a guy like that? You can't. That's why we had to wear the hoods. But, I mean, I'd be wrestling Greg Valentine, Bad News Brown, One Man Gang, Killer Khan, all these guys from WWE, and then I'd be wrestling yeah. Colonel De Beers and Doug Summers and Roshki and all these guys. So, yeah, it, it was really shocking that they even gave us a shot. But I really think it was because Greg felt – we had paid our dues and we deserved at least a shot. Did, did you, you know, guys, did you guys say something or did he come to you and say, Hey, we think we're going to, you know, give you this new gimmick and we're going to give you this opportunity. Or, I mean, I, how, how did that process come about? Well, Chris, what happened is, 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 is my partner, Rick, he was doing the Texas hangman on the Indies just by us. And uh, he said to me, why don't you decide to do it with me? And I was like, you know what? I would love to. I was always a super huge fan of the mask guys. Super Destroyer Mark II was my favorite group. Oh, wow. Slaughter. Yeah. And uh, so I was obsessed with masks. I, I remember making masks when I was 12 years old in my basement. And so when he gave me said, you want to do this? I'm like, yes, let's do it. Mm-hmm. We did it. It was great. We put some pictures together. We, Greg, uh, Rick brought them to Greg and said, hey, would you consider this? And that's when he said, I like you guys and I think you deserve a shot, but maybe you should go to like USWA and get some more experience mm-hmm. because – you know, you guys haven't been teaming that long as the hangman. And then that way, if we bring you in, we can really do something. And we're like, okay, but we don't have any connection. And that kind of brings me into my next question about going to the USWA, because I mean, that's, you know, Jerry Lawler in that part of the country. I mean, that's, that's Lawler country, but how, how much did the program and the opportunity to work with Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler help you? That was, with, that was Greg's idea. He decided because just coincidentally, they were the tag team champions for 80 degree at the time, Dundee and Lawler. He said, I'm going to put you guys at Whitewater. Mick, you know Whitewater. Oh, <laughs> do I ever. Uh, and he said, I'm going to put you with them in Whitewater as Mike Richards and Rick Gantner. And they can see them what you can do. And then maybe he'll consider bringing you guys in USWA. So we did this match. And I told Bill Dundee before the match, it was a live ESPN show or a tape to ESPN show. I said, I'm not comfortable doing this monkey foot that you want to do because he wanted to lay on his back and push me forward rather than backwards. And I, I felt like I wouldn't get over. I mean, the guy's only four foot tall. <laughs> you know, I mean, truth be told. So he goes, no, mate, I'll make sure you get over, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course, what happens is he goes to do it, and he, I land right on my head, right on TV. Oh God! Knock myself out for the first and only time in my career. So that's it, right? I mean, that's that's the. Well, end no, I the... get up and I start flopping around. I don't know why I was doing this, but I don't know if you've ever been knocked out. But when you're knocked out, you're in a dream sequence, and you're flipping around. And I ended up going out of the ring. Lawler brought me back in. He tried to cover me a couple of times. I kept kicking out for some reason. Then finally, he just picked me up in a pile driver. He dropped me, and he goes, "Do not kick out." <laughs> and I didn't kick out. But guess what? Horrible impression. We weren't going to get the job. But then surprisingly, what happened is uh, two weeks later, he talked to Rick, my partner, and he said, come on down for a weekend. And we drove all the way to Memphis for a TV taping in, in that weekend and uh, tried to give it a shot. That's fantastic. Yeah. That, you know, I got a question about another team. But before I get there, you know, you mentioned getting knocked out for the one and only time in your career. And now you're in La La Land. I was in in Australia with with Kamala, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and there was a guy, uh, Rick Laribus, who is actually he's from Texas and he's wrestled under different personas. Okay, he's a heel. He was working as the gladiator on this Australian tour, and he's working hillbilly cousin Luke. Ah, 
And Cousin Luke hit him with a with a clothesline coming off the ropes. And Rick did, you know, the tailspin, and, and he also landed on his head. Well, everybody knew right away, this is not good. And he stands up, and Luke looks at him like, oh, shit. And Rick Laribas is trying to walk a straight line to Cousin Luke, and he's not. He's, like, angled completely off to the side like he's walking towards the turnbuckle. He had no idea where the hell he is. And instead of going into the finish, I think Luke put him in a front face lock for about the next eight minutes. Like the guy isn't dead enough already. Right. But uh, that reminded me when you said it's amazing when you get knocked out, you literally have no idea where you're at. You're like in a dream sequence. And finally, when I came to and I heard Lawler say, do not kick out. Finally, when I said, okay, and I didn't kick out, but it, it's amazing how that happened. So what ended up happening, long story short, we went to USWA for the weekend, drove all the way down there, 12 hours. Frank Rick had just gotten off his job. He had a stick shift vehicle. It was the only one that would make it. I was literally steering the car from the, I swear, from the passenger side while he was sleeping for about two hours on the expressway. Thank God there was no cars. It was in the middle of the night because I couldn't, I didn't want to drive stick. So we get there, and we, we're we scheduled against the Rockers, Marty oh, uh-huh. And I've known Marty since my first territory back in 83. So I thought, oh, this is great. It was a two out of three fall match scheduled. So we start setting it up, and they go, oh, the first fall, they're going to just get on you guys, and they're going to beat you in 30 seconds. They're going to come off the top with those big fists to me. And I'm like, that sucks because we're trying to make an impact, but okay. But they're like, second fall, you're going to get to shine. I'm like, okay, great. So we get out there. We do the first 30 seconds. They pin me. Now F- Frank and I are standing in the ring, and they go out to do an interview. And we're like, why are they doing an interview in the middle of a fall? And the camera guys are waving us, get the hell out of the ring. The fans are going, get the hell out of the ring, you jobbers. <laughs> We got our masks on. We're looking around. We're going, no, no, there's another fall. <laughs> Needless to say, there was not another fall. Oh. It was a commercial. They tell us to get the hell out of there before it comes live. We come back, and Marty's kind of smiling. Goes, sorry, guys. It was, it was a rib. Oh, oh man. Oh, God. 12 hours to get beat in 30 seconds. You know, and Marty Janetti, now that you bring him up, you've, you talked to us kind of uh, off screen. Mm-hmm. About having Marty Janetti, the legendary, you know, calm, cool, collected, never get in trouble, Marty Janetti. Yes, yeah, Marty Janetti. You got to talk about that. Party Marty. So, yeah, um, this office, true story, this office was his bedroom back in, I think, 99 when we were in both in WCW. I had known him since Kansas City. When I first went to, my first territory was for Bob Geigley, Kansas City. Okay, yeah. And Marty was there, is his first territory too. And he was teaming with a guy named Tommy Lane as the Uptown Boys, kind of a rockers, pre, pre-rockers gimmick. Okay. Len Den, the grappler, was the booker. And him and I became very good friends because he didn't like his partner, Tommy Lane. So we would drive in his white Mustang all over the territory. So we were very tight. And we've been friends for 40 years now. Anyways, long story short, in WCW, he needed a place to stay. And he came and moved in with me. This office, my appraisal office, was his bedroom. And let me tell you something. These walls could talk. Oh God! Oh, he 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 would accidentally <laughs> leave his bedroom door open sometimes during his matches with his females, and I would accidentally walk by sometimes and see the matches. And I'll tell you what, 
some of Marty's best matches were right here in this bedroom. I would imagine. <laughs> and he did moves that you never saw on TV. I, I'm, I'm quite sure of that, and I would bet you he always wanted to go at least two out of three falls. He did. He was did. It a, were they handicap matches? I mean, was it an over-the-top? You top? know what? Was I never it? saw it. I would have loved to see the handicap match, but I did not see that. But I saw many singles matches where Marty always was on top. I mean, over. <laughs> I mean, over. I mean, over. How many false finishes? <laughs> More than I could do. <laughs> no kicking out, no kicking out there. Oh my god, yeah. that that's phenomenal. It, it was it was a crazy year. Put it yeah. that. Yeah. Speaking of crazy, I want to go back earlier in the decade. I know how you transitioned from Marty Janetti, but that was fabulous. Uh, back to Twin Wars 90, oh, okay. where I believe it was uh, Scott Norton and, and John Nord. Kind of take me through that match. The end of it, I guess, is really kind of what I want to know about going back to the locker room. And uh, apparently you had a you had a, a tense conversation with uh, one Vern Gagne. Yeah, that was actually our last interaction with Vern. Um Working those guys, they were so big and so strong. The only objective for me and my partner was to survive. And so we're working them, and we kept taking them down and grabbing them and chin us, blah, 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 just so we didn't get killed. And the finish was is at the end, they chased us back to the dressing room. Scott said to me before they had the, the match, he goes, when we're chasing you, if we catch you, it's not going to be good. Well, needless to say, <laughs> they were chasing us, and, and and Frank wasn't running very fast. I was hitting him going, go, go, go. We were running for real. And we got back there, and the match was pretty good, I thought. But Vern didn't like it because we took him down so much, and they're so big. And he took us into the shower, and he chewed our asses out, no exaggeration, for 20 minutes. I mean, chewed us out about how these guys are so – but I kept felt, I felt like saying, Vern – these guys are scary. They're dangerous. But I didn't say that. I just listened to him. And, and respectfully, I mean, he was probably right. But it's easier said than done when you're in the ring with these big, giant guys, you know. But it was – I thought the match was pretty good. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it, I thought it was pretty good. But, yeah. My last interaction, sadly, with Vern was him giving us a probably earned ass, ass you know, two and a out. I uh... – I'm very well aware of last encounters with Vern Gagne and ass chewings and so on and so yes. forth. You know, and, and I, I'm floored, Mike. I'm listening to you talk about how big and scary John Nord and Scott Norton were. I'm thinking in my mind that that match had to be like a luchador match. I'm guessing with all the high-flying moves and all the coming off the top ropes and yes, yes. hurricane runners and everything else, <laughs> that just lit up the building. Yeah, Um Pretty much, again, us just trying to survive. You know, you've seen Scott Norton. That guy's got a head like a hippopotamus. I mean, he's huge. And, and, and he's so thick. I mean, the guy's like four feet thick. And John, you know John. Oh, I know John. Taking that boot to the face that he does. Not fun. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it, I, I it was by that. far one of the toughest teams we've ever worked with as far as just physicality. I just, did, did, did you? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you like working with teams that were more physical, like that, um, Mike? Or, or did you kind of like it where maybe there wasn't so much as somebody laying it in? We did like snug because even as the hangman later on, we I always liked being snug because I felt that that it's wrestling. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you work a team like that, um, yeah, it was, it was a little. It was it was never too snug, but it wasn't as you. Those guys weren't very mobile. 
So you couldn't do a lot of spots, couldn't do a lot with them. But I mean, I enjoyed working them. They were great guys, very nice. But you just had to be very careful because they're so big, they could hurt you accidentally. You know? I know that, that Scott Norton probably, what I understand, maybe this is just rumor, that when Scott Norton retired, they actually tore him down and built a stadium where he was standing. So, you know, he was a big man. You know? <laughs> hey, I got to tell you a quick story. Sure. All right. So in WCW years later, Scott Norton's there, Brian Norton, uh, Brian Nobbs there. We went, we we flew on a plane to a show, all of us for WCW. Eric Bischoff was there. We were all there, and you know how Nobbs can get a little obnoxious. It's so he's fucking walking up and down the sorry about the swear, and he's just walking up and he's slapping us on the head as he's walking up and down the plane. I'm sleeping, he's slapping us. He does it to Scott. Scott loses his mind. Scott grabs him, puts him in the bathroom of the plane, and says, if you come out, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. So poor Nobs had to spend the whole flight sitting in the bathroom. <laughs> Nobs, uh, Norton said, if you come on, I'm going to kick your ass. It was so great. And we landed. <laughs> poor Nobs comes in. Yeah. Norton How was not in the bathroom on a plane anyway. I mean, it, it, how does that work? Where is he had to figure it out because he had to do what Scott Norton. Wow, fun! Uh, <laughs> loving this. Uh, looking back on your career with your various uh, tag team partners, the incarnations, you've talked about some of the teams that you work with. If you have a favorite, and then a not so favorite team that you might have faced with any of your partners, uh, right off the top of your head. Are you talking about AWA? Uh, it, just in general. Okay. Um, me, it was mostly me and Rick, and then eventually me and Tom. Um, as far as uh, favorites, I mean, I I don't want to go non AWA stuff, but there was a lot of guys that were non AWA that we had great matches with: uh, Invader and Carlos Colon, um, Carlos Colon and TNT um, in USWA. We, we took the straps from Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Lawler. They were great to work. I mean, that's two of the best workers I've ever worked with. And we won the straps in Memphis from them. Um, so there was a lot of really great tag teams. And then as a jobber, I worked Rock and Roll Express. I worked the Hart Foundation and WWE or WF. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, so many great tag teams. But I don't have a favorite necessarily. Um, I could tell you guys I didn't like working with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like Thunder, which we've touched on off, off air. My God. Honestly, as good as I had started to get at that time, I could not get a good match out of him. He he didn't know how to lock up. He didn't know how to do anything. And here I am. You got to look at it from my point of view. I'm a guy who's not that great, but I'm pretty good at this point. Here I got to put this guy mm -hmm. over. He doesn't know a thing in at the show. Well, you were there, Mick. Oh, I was. Horrible. Nice guy, but just terrible. Right? Him, I didn't like working Kevin Kelly because he was so intense and he did hurt me. Um, but I loved working Kurt. Kurt was the oh. best. I loved Kurt as a person and as a wrestler. I wrestled him for Vern in the beginning days. I wrestled him later on in the days. I wrestled him in WWE. I wrestled him in WCW when they were doing that rap is crap gimmick thing going. <laughs> it was great. I loved Kurt. When he passed, I was very sad. But he was the best, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, I love working Greg. A lot of people talk shit about Greg. But let me tell you something. That guy could go. And when he put that sleeper on you, I worked him at the show. When he put that sleeper on me, I damn near almost fell asleep. 
He well, was, yeah, he was a tough guy for a little guy. People people underestimate him. They always talk all this shit about him because he was Vern's son. That guy was a tough athlete. He had played football in Minnesota. He was great. Was it Minnesota or Wyoming? It was it was both. Okay. Yeah, he went from Minnesota to Wyoming, you know, and, and talking about Greg, Bachwinkle used to say, you know, wrestling Greg, it was it was like a, a night off, but it was so good. He was it's so, so smooth. smooth. Yeah. Well, what, what was what was the perception of Greg in the locker room at, at that point? Was I mean, even though he was Vern's son, every, had the respect of everybody in the locker cool room. Dude, he was a cool guy. He wasn't like some weird nerd. He was a cool guy, and he he ran the locker room great. And uh, he was always fair. And, and I'm biased because he gave us our break, so I will always love Greg for that. But uh, in my opinion, I think everybody respected him. He was yeah. very good. I, I want to ask you uh, about one of the teams that we hear about is you know, being very rough, but if you're in the ring with the road warriors and we hear about that road warrior pop, yeah. when you, when you're in that building and you're in the ring, like what is the reaction when you see them coming out and you're in the ring waiting for them? Wrestle them in St. Paul at the civic center. And uh, my partner and I literally said to each other, as they were running to the ring, to the Iron Man song, Good luck. And we weren't kidding. <laughs> Those big bastards came running to the ring, and we just braced ourselves, and they got on us, and then Hawk picked me up. He threw me up over his head. Normally, I'd have to help. Didn't have to help. Throwing <laughs> us around like we were rag dolls. And this is when they were kind of green still. Okay. And uh, thank God they didn't hurt us. But, yeah, it was, it was a very scary experience. And I got a little story about that. So that same day, their next match was against my partner, Rick. And guess who his partner was as a jobber? Rick Steiner. He oh, was. Yeah. Look it oh, up. He, wow. He was, he really? was Rob, Rob Rick Steiner. Yes. yes. Rick Steiner. Him and my partner teamed up and got their asses kicked. So that just shows you, you pay your dues and eventually look, look at the star Rick game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ended up wrestling him many times in WCW with his brother. But yeah, that just shows you that you pay your dues. That that That's fantastic. Yeah, that's it was the same day. Wow. Let's, let's talk about Rick a little bit because, again, here's a successful tag team. And, by the way, I want to backtrack a little bit. You mentioned a couple of times that Greg came to you and, you know, you guys have paid your dues and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this to you. A lot of guys paid their dues for a lot of years in the AWA. You were extremely talented, both of you. And it, Greg wasn't just tossing you a bone, you know, and knowing the AWA hierarchy the way I do, if they didn't have all the confidence in the world in you guys, you would not have been elevated to that position. So I wouldn't shortchange yourself at all, buddy. Well, well thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and when he gave us a shot, I think that was it was the right timing. Had he given us a shot years before, we would have never been ready for it. We were ready at that time. And, and he pushed us to the moon. I mean, we barely mm-hmm. ever lost. I mean, it was a really good push. And that actually catapulted us to have a better career later on. Because once once Eddie Gray closed, we went to Puerto Rico, had a great run. Then we went to the USWA, had a great run. Both times we had the straps in both those territories. So it was all due to Greg. But, yes, I I, I, I do feel that Greg saw that we were ready. Yes. You know, and, and that we had paid our dues. And, again, props to him. He didn't have to do that. You know what's interesting, too, and, and, and uh, this is just kind of an aside. You talked about your affinity for masked men 
you know, yes. business and how you like, you know, Super D2 and, and what have you. I was always a huge fan of the mask guys, too. I mean, going way back. Cool. You were, for a long time, masked men meant something in wrestling. Yes. And then there was a lull where they didn't mean anything, where they were used, right. you know, basically enhancement on TV. And then all of a sudden, the Texas hangman come back and you're elevating the role of the masked men again. So, again, it's testament to you, buddy. You know, the talent level. Thanks. And do you know, this is the truth. We wanted to go old school. And when we did the hangman gimmick, we wore our hoods into the building. Didn't take them off the entire time until we left. Not even in the locker room? Not even in the locker room, swear to God. And it's funny because I ended up running into Curtis Hughes, who we had worked a bunch of times. Well, then later on when I was in WCW, he was there. And somehow he heard I was one of the Texas hangmen and, and I was mean Mike now. And he goes, man, I always wondered what you look like. A lot of the guys <laughs> work never even knew what we looked like because we never took our hoods off. Never. The entire yeah. time in the dressing room. We, we wanted to do old school gimmick. And so unless you knew it was Mike Richards, which, of course, some people did, but a lot of the guys, the newer guys didn't. Wow. So we, were literally, we were literally wrestling guys that never knew what we looked like. That's phenomenal. I, I love I, Wow. You, boy, yeah, you talk about really cool. protecting it. We oh, really and Vern must have loved that part of he it. He did love it. And Greg yeah. didn't say anything. We, we literally never took the hoods off the entire time at all. That's good for you. I, I, I love the, the kayfabe era. Nothing like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about Rick. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, all good things come to an end one way or another. Take us through the split between you and Rick. Well, what happened is, long story short, um, we went to Puerto Rico right after the AWA closed. I sent a tape down to Puerto Rico, not thinking I'm going to hear anything. I get a call from the invader, the guy who, you know, him and Brody. Yeah. And he's like, amigo, I want to bring you down. We have an idea for you that you and we have an angle. We're bringing him for two weeks. So we go down there for two weeks. And uh, he offers us a $1,000 a week deal. And we hang the invader and we do our deal and we stayed there for a long time, got the straps. It was one of the best times of my life. Um, dangerous at times. And I'll tell you this, I got a quick story. It's not 80 degree, but I want oh, to tell you. Yeah, no, go ahead. So Bayamon is where him and Brody had their incident. We were literally in that same shower with invader going over our finish for a match. Ooh. Same shower. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, is Invader thinking about this or is it just me who's thinking about this? Mm -hmm. But I got to say, Invader was always super nice to us. I don't know what happened between the two of them. But um, anyways, long story short, uh, we went from Puerto Rico. Eric Embry was in the territory at the time. Him and a guy named Rick Valentine were teaming up. He went to USWA and he said, when you guys are done in Puerto Rico, call me because I'm going to book for Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett. So we called him after we finished up in Puerto Rico. We went to USWA. And that territory, we went from making $1,000 a week to $350 a week as champions. We beat Lawler and Jarrett at the Mid-South Coliseum for the straps. And But instead of doing 400 miles a week, which we were doing in Puerto Rico because it's such a quick territory, we were doing 3,000 miles a week, making nothing. And it kind of pulled us apart. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that that's just, I mean, that's incredible just to, to hear that. Cause I know you and I kind of, you know, talked about, um, you know, yeah, we had kind of talked about that whole story about you being in the shower where 
Yeah, so real. So surreal. Can't imagine. Yeah, it was it was really bizarre. And I got one quick Puerto Rico story to tell. It's not an AWA story, but it's a Puerto Rico. You go ahead, Mel. So one time, now this is years later, I was in Puerto Rico, and uh, Dickie Murdoch was in the territory. And Dickie and I would travel together. He teamed up a few times, and he was a character, drinking guy, crazy guy. So Buddy Rogers, the nature boy Buddy Rogers, came into Puerto Rico with his son on vacation, and they showed up at Bayamon for the show, got announced and all that. Dickie says, hey, we're going to meet at Lupe's afterwards, which is a bar nearby where we all live. He goes, why don't you come by and hang out with us for a while? I'm like, so I got to sit down. Now, I only stayed for about 15 minutes because I knew Dickie and Buddy wanted to do their thing. But I got to sit down with Dick Murdoch and Nature Boy Buddy Rogers for about 15 minutes and listen to these two guys talk. You talk about something I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined. That's crazy. It was one of the coolest moments of my career, and I wish I had a cell phone back then, but they didn't have them. Because I would have, yeah. God knows I would have taken a picture with Buddy Rogers. You know, and, and I was going to say, for the younger fans out there who aren't familiar with Buddy Rogers, oh my God. talk about one of the all-time greats, NWA champion, and I yeah, know he was Rick Flair before Rick Flair. Yeah, and, and you know what? And I told Bachwinkle too, and he always denied this. I said, Nick, I see such a such a similarity between you and Buddy no Rock. Doubt. No doubt. Yep, and and Nick would deny it. Yeah. So well, true. Nick was basically Buddy Rogers, you know, su a superior version of Buddy Rogers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It was such it, a cool moment. Yeah. To say a superior version of Buddy Rogers is, you know, well, man. That's what? incredible. Nick was great. Yes. Well, I, I guess I, I want to ask you about Brad Reggins. I know he's somebody that we'd like to get on the show sometime. That'd be cool. Yeah, rumor has it he's kind of a strong fella. Right? <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. That's that's what the kids are talking about. I mentioned this to Mick. There was a we did a house show where it was it was Baron and Brad against me and my partner. And I screwed up a spot in the corner. I don't know why, but I did. And he grabbed me and he hooked my arms. And he picked me up and he threw me over his head all the way to the next turnbuckle, like in a suplex. And I landed and I'm like, holy shit. You I weren't exactly a junior heavyweight, buddy. I was 275, 280. I didn't have to help at all. This guy was so strong and such an athlete. He throws me over and then he, as soon as, I, I don't even get up and he's already got me again. He goes, don't let that happen again. I didn't like that. I'm like, it won't happen again, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> That was a, I, don't I, let don't let that happen again. That was a bad dude. You know, I heard, and for anybody who does not know Brad Ringens, you know, Greco-Roman wrestler. So I mean, his upper body strength was incredible. But you know, you, you watch Brad on his promos, kind of a mild-mannered guy. His promos certainly weren't very show. Oh, yeah. Terrible. Uh, but I have heard that legendary Brad Ringens strength, and you just you solidified it well, i'm sure you heard about the time he took vader when Vader was green and he in the in the his camp and he threw him over the thing and threw him into like a porta potty or that guy let me tell you something yeah he did brad reagan's threw vader uh, into vader, a porta potty he was leon white yeah trying to learn and leon tried to shoot with him a little bit and he picked him up and threw him over the top rope into a porta potty you know that story mick yeah <laughs> i far one of the toughest guys i've ever been in the ring with he looks so mild yeah. That guy is a killer. He's right up there with the Steiner brothers that I've yeah. wrestled with. They're killers, too. Um, you know, you, you get these guys that are just a next level. 
Yeah. Well, and you know, when Brad was doing some of his training, Saido was his uh, cohort a lot of times. So between the two of those guys. Oh, my God. As I told you in the first episode, Saido was a killer, too. Oh, God. Incredible. All right, Chris, I'm going to tee this up for you. Yeah. And and you got to explain to Mike a little bit how we're really bending the rules because we like this guy. Yeah. There is uh, a certain individual that we don't normally uh, even acknowledge on the show because of the piece of shit, because of the piece of shit that he is. I already know Uh, where you're going with this. uh, So, but I know you've got a, you know, you've got a story that you want to tell about the boombox. So uh, without that, uh, go, go ahead, Mike. It's, it's, it's yours. It's all yours. So long story short, Nacho Barrera used to run a show in Ashton, Wisconsin, him and the Luchas would come in for years and do like a singles and tags, whatever. He eventually gave it to me because he didn't want to do it anymore. So one of the first years I brought in Buck Zumoff and this is back before cell phones. So I get a call on my home phone well, five hours before the show. And I hear hello. And I go, you have a collect call from, and then you hear rock and roll, which is him, his voice. And I, I, I accept the call. So I accept it. He goes, Hey brother, I haven't showered in a while. I'm a little ripe. Do you have like a garden hose or something you can put at the arena at the, at the show? Because I'm not you know, smelling too good. And I'm like, oh, geez, I'll find something. And he goes, I'm going to be a little late too. And he's, so he shows up in his van about 20, 30 minutes late. Stinks like hell. I give him the garden hose. He's out in the back spraying himself off. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's the main event of the, the, the show. And in intermission, he's walking around. He had somehow printed out pictures on a Xerox machine of Hulk Hogan. And he's walking around in the stands. And this is this Ashpin show was about 2,000 people there. It was, a, it was a fair, and it was a big deal. And he's going, gas money, I need gas money. And he's selling Hulk Hogan Xerox copies for gas money. Yeah. What? Everything that you have said, including how about the stink, and needing gas money and everything else is uh, that it's it fits. It's all it's the whole. It, meanwhile, he's where he needs to be. But I never booked him again mm-hmm. after that. And I didn't like working, Buck. Truth be told, that was one guy. That's another guy I didn't like working. One time, me and Rick did a house show for Vern. We had to drive sixteen hours to North Dakota for one hundred fifty bucks. Oh. <laughs> we were literally we were literally slapping our faces on the way home because we couldn't stay awake. We had to work Buck and Baron, and Buck was so difficult to work with. He was clumsy, in my opinion. He was clumsy, and he was just hard to work with. I always wondered how he got the push he did, but whatever. Well, you know, the story that I've been told, and and then we will get off of this guy as Mm -hmm. quick as possible, was that the one who actually said, I will work with this kid and get him over was Bobby Heenan. Oh, okay. And they Uh, had a great angle. Yeah, they had a great angle, and you know, God bless Bobby for all the good he did in the business. That might have been uh, one of his missteps. Um, and, and again, we're not going to talk about this guy. He doesn't even deserve it, but but that is a funny story. Yeah, you know, and another story that will kind of piggyback on what you said. Uh, Ed Hellier, the promoter for Steel Domain Wrestling, told me that he went to an indie show that Buck was actually promoting. And it was going to be something like 10 bucks for adults and, and kids five and under get in free. So Ed knew a guy that was at this 
show walks in and, and Buck says to the you get Buck sitting there. Of course, he's at the uh, he's at the till, and uh, he said to the guy, "Well, it's going to be ten bucks for you, and I got to charge you three three or five bucks for your kid." Oh, geez. And so, you know, the guy says, well, wait a second. It's supposed to be kids five and under getting free. Yeah. And Buck's response was, the house is a little light tonight, you know, so I got to make up for it. So, uh, you know, be an extra $5. So you're penalizing the people that are actually coming out yeah. Yeah. to watch you. But that was Buck. He was, he was a piece of crap, and now he is where he deserves to be. Yeah. Stellar yeah. individual. Um, I want to ask you, because... So many people look at the last couple of years of the AWA. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this. You felt that with the AWA, with what they had left, they still could have possibly made a run at it. Now, I'm, I'm looking, you know, you were there, Larry Cameron, Derek Dukes, Ricky Rice, uh, you know, into the 90s. Do you think there would have been anything that Vern could have done and I'm not saying to compete with Vince because that train had long since left the station. Right. Do you think anything Vern did at that point would have actually saved the AWA or at that point was it over? I, I agree with you because I watch a lot of your podcasts with you two guys and with George. I agree with you. It, it, no, even if he had taken on Hogan and gave him a – it wasn't going to happen. Right. The bottom line is, is the, 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 things were evolving. Vern wasn't evolving. No, I don't think it would have changed anything. I, I think that the ADBA had ran its course, and it was a shame because I mean I hated to see it go because it was my childhood dream. And yeah, absolutely, there. would I have loved to get another year or two where I think we would have got the straps? Yeah, of course. But I think that it just ran its course, and unfortunately, Vern was too old to evolve with it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, maybe had it been years back because Vern was such a genius at one time. He was. I think he could have figured it out, but he was at this point he was just too old to figure. And and let's truth be told, there was Watts and there was all these other guys. That, there you go. How money talks, and Vince had money, and he 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 closed it all down. Yeah, is, I, I don't think any way Vince was going to be derailed by anybody by any promotion. It was going it was going to happen. Before. It was inevitable. Yeah, yeah, it was over. And, and I, I yeah, and I I think. You know, when you're talking about it, it's not necessarily that he was a good promoter. I just think that he was a good businessman and saw something that nobody else could. And and I think we saw that there were times where, you know, trying to work with several parts of the NWA and the, you know, and, and you know, working with all these different territories to put together these shows, it, it, it just didn't work. Let me ask you, uh, Mike, you've had such, I mean, we, we've talked about, you know, your AWA, your, you know, WCW, kind of everything that you've done. Is there a certain part of your career that you would consider your favorite? Or if you could go back and, and like highlight one period of time, what would it be? I would say that, I mean, if I had to highlight something to me, the first run in Puerto Rico with Rick, because we were making a thousand dollars a week. We were, I mean, that territory was only two hours long. So you could leave at 6.30 at night. You'd be able to go to the beach, go to the gym, take a nap, go to the territory, do your, I mean, go to the match, do your show, come back, still have time to go out and party. I mean, it was it was just paradise. That was probably my, my favorite time. But also when Tom and I were in WCW as disorderly conduct mm -hmm. and, and then Texas Heyman, that was a special time too because Tom was a, a great partner. 
Um, I've got a thing to tell that real quick. Just to, yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. All these people who think wrestling is not that hard sometimes. These teeth, Rey Mysterio knocked all my front teeth out in a match with Eddie Guerrero, and thanks to him, I've got brand new teeth that I got. It was in Rome, Georgia. We were wrestling. He flied, flew over and he hit me with a flying forearm, knocked all my teeth down, and then the next day I had to go to Atlanta and get new teeth and. WCW paid for it, and five thousand dollars later, I've got brand new teeth. So yeah, thank you, Ray. And but that just shows you how hard it is. Like literally, I went to the ring that night not thinking anything, and mm-hmm. the next day I was getting, you know, all my teeth were getting pulled. You know that, that that's another bone of contention. That's a whole other show about the people who denigrate wrestling. It's hard. You know, yeah, you know, and it, you hear it. I've heard it for. 50, 60, oh, they know how to fall. You know what? And like we talked about earlier on, just get in there and run the ropes for a minute. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You know, I and, and the guys, the, the big tough football players and what have you that went out to Burns training. They never made it. Never made it past the first set of uh, Hindu squats. You know, they were yeah. they were gone. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're talking to a couple of guys here who have nothing but respect for everything that that you did at 100 percent 100 percent one other thing i'd like to say about um awa and wwe you know we talked about the ending yeah when we were doing both tvs we saw us job guys we saw a big difference where we knew things were changing because when we would do awa tv it was pretty much greg running it all we go to wwf and there'd be all these agents behind the scene i mean arnold scolan was doing our payouts You'd have Tony Gurria, you'd have Rene Goulet, you'd have Chief J. Strongbow, all these guys helping organize everything in the TV. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. We had a full catered buffet. I'd be sitting in the buffet area and I'd see Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan, Don Morocco, Bob Ward. I mean, all these guys. And then when I'd come to Vern's show, you'd see, you know, not a stellar of stars. We truly knew things were going to change. Mm-hmm. All of us job guys, we knew that the WWE was going to be the next thing because it was so superior in the later years. Right. This thing was a superior product in the earlier years, but at that point, Vince had dialed it in. Well, and you know, Mike, Vern had tried everything at that point. I mean, when you when he left the small studio in Minneapolis, yes. and first went out to uh, uh, Atlantic City, and yep. then he went to the showboat. With the intent of competing with Vince on the level that this is this is uh, Hollywood stuff. This yeah. is uh, you know we're not in a small studio arena anymore. We're as glitzy and glamorous as the WWF. But it came off even then as looking kind of like a cheap imitation, because I, I, by that point Vince had put the nail in everybody's coffin. Yes, and do you remember at the end they even did that thing where they had like a simulated audience? Oh, guys, oh my oh, god! The, gr- the green screen. We yeah. weren't we, for whatever reason we weren't on that, but God, that was cringeworthy. Cringeworthy. Well, you know, and, and when it gets to the point where Jake Milliman, God bless him, is pulling a turkey off a pole, you know, and and that's your you know one of your main events in the team challenge series, yeah. you're in deep shit. But I have to say something about that. We were part of what was the Bisco's team that we were a part of? What was it called? Oh God. Oh. Blitzers or some shit or whatever. Yeah, yeah, something. Whatever it was. You know, that was a we won that because of Jake Milliman. 
Yes. Did you wait for my share of that damn million dollars that we were presented that day? <laughs> I, have a feeling, I have a feeling I'm going to be waiting a long time. I, I think so. You may want to, you know, find another uh, source of income. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 don't, think, uh, I don't think the pasteurized yeah. one over here in Wisconsin, the milkman, is going to be coming up. With any, uh... I check my mail every day, and Vern's check still isn't coming for that million dollars. <laughs> Well, that'll be bouncing over to you any day now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What, Mike, in, in following up here, uh, you know, and actually, you know, this is probably the way we will wrap it up. <laughs> I look at your career and, you know, the, the term enhancement talent and jobbers and whatever else is tossed around a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think the general wrestling population, especially younger guys who all of a sudden they're internet experts because they read some terminology on the web. They may look at a Rick Gantner or a Mike Richards or whatever as this blip on the radar enhancement guy. And you know, we've talked, I think, I think you're a hell of a lot better than that. And, you know, uh, a shining, certainly in the last couple of years of the AWA. So given that, how do you want to be remembered? If you look back on your career and somebody goes and, and finds a legitimate, accurate story of pro wrestling, how do you want to be seen? Um, I would say I wouldn't want to be seen as a journeyman, jobber, enhancement guy, because I feel we did more. I mean, we were champions at USWA. We were champions in Puerto Rico. I had 12 tours of Japan. I've been over all over Europe. I mean, I did a lot, you know, that people wouldn't know about. Absolutely. At the same time, I'm well aware I was not a household name and I was not a top guy. Um, I would just like to be known as a guy who was a really good hand that never, whether it was 200 people or 20,000 people, always gave his 100% effort, which I did, and, and always tried to respect my opponent and try to have the best match I could and try to, you know, just make it solid and, and keep the psychology – and, and but make sure that nobody got hurt, you know. So yeah. I feel like I was just a really good hand that always. I mean, I, I wrestled so many guys in every territory. Um, I feel like uh, I just like to be remembered as a guy that was a really good hand and someone who always respected the, the opponents. You know? I don't think you could ask for anything more. I think that's a tremendous legacy, yeah. And, and I think not only that, Mike, I, I think having people hear you tell your story and everything that you've done. And I think people, I hope that those that maybe don't know, go back and look and really take a look at your career because the way that you've laid out the last two weeks, yeah. I don't know about you, Mick, but I, I've loved like every minute of this and that's complete. Thanks. That's completely uh, a shoot that this has been just so much fun. And again, I've told you, Mike, that, you were like, you are going to always be like somebody that's always going to be synonymous with one of my favorite moments in pro wrestling. My first, my first ever card. You, first match. Yeah. Yeah. My first so, card. Yeah. That's great. My, my, my first card. So you like this, just, it, it kind of just humanizes everything. Right. Cause I think people, you guys talked about wrestling, having a bad rap, like this humanizes it as well. And, and when you hear it, there are just so many good people that I feel maybe don't get the due respect that they should. And Mike, I really hope that people 
listen to this and they understand everything that you've done with and for the business. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I appreciate that. You know, me and Mick have a lot of history too. Oh, you we know, do. The last time I saw Mick. Oh, I, oh we do. I was that a was, question or a statement, Mick? Oh, I don't know. Remember the AWF, I think. Was that our last? Absolutely. Oh, last I seen you. forgot about that. Yeah. The AWF. And that's part of that. You and Terry Taylor doing the announcing was so great. And um, that I think was the last time I saw Mick in person. But thank you guys so much for having me on here. It's been a great. Your ADBRA podcast is tremendous. I When I drive to do my appraisals, I listen to you guys. You guys are tremendous. And I can't wait to see what you two do together. It's going to be cool. Well, I really appreciate that. And it's yeah. we're shooting here when we say that you have our utmost respect. Thank you. Awesome. I could have done without that, uh, you know, that, that shit story when you shit your pants, but, you know, neither here nor there. You know, I mean, Ric Flair one time on a national pay-per-view or Clash of Champions, he was wearing his pink tights into the ring, his pink shorts, and somebody body slammed him. And you mentioned, you know, and, and the camera zoomed right in. Shit and, happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, all right, that'll that'll do it. All right, enough of the potty mouth, Mike. Well, oh, <laughs> what you did there? Mick brought it up, not me. Oh God. Yeah. Well, again, this program has been the shits. I really appreciate you, Mike. Take it easy, buddy. Thank you guys so much for it, and I hope that we get a lot of views, and I hope the people enjoy it. Um, it's been a pleasure. Hell of a job. Thank you, buddy. Thank, thank you, Mike. And I'm going to take him out of the stream, but don't go anywhere, Mike, because uh, we'll chat to you uh, after we get done here, kind of taking care of the business. Mick, that was great, man. I, I, you know, when we first did it and we were doing the first, you know, we were doing the first week and you're like, okay, we're going to wrap it up. And we got lucky in terms of cutting it into two parts. Like that is the stuff that I feel people want to hear like that. That's just me. Like I, I love hearing those stories because there's so many things that even if you read them to hear them, it gives a completely different context. When you hear somebody talk about it firsthand. First of all, Mike, you know, on a personal level is one hell of a guy. I mean, he always he was, see, he, he seems like such a, he oh. seems like such a good dude. He he's instantly turned into one of my favorites and I'm glad that I can now call him one of my friends. And what he said at the very end, Chris, how much better could it be than to say, I want to be remembered as a good hand who made my opponents look good. I didn't hurt anybody in the ring. Yes. You know, I mean, that's what it's all about. And I'm so glad that we had him on the show. And you talk about parts one and two. I get the feeling we could go to part 10 with uh, with Mike Moran. Just a great storyteller and a great guy. And uh so glad we have him, and I hope the people appreciate what they really heard here from Mike. Yeah, uh, you know, and his career extended far, far beyond what I thought it did. Mm -hmm. I knew of him and about him and worked with him, but man, some of those stories about Puerto Rico and the the colognes and what have you—fascinating uh, stuff. Yeah, and you and I—he was just so candid and open and so natural. Yeah, so natural. Like, and you know, I said on Twitter who would have thought that a guy named killer would have been such a great communicator and, and could be such a storyteller. Yeah. And hopefully you guys have, uh, have enjoyed it. Uh, want to go ahead and uh, get to some business here, Mick. Uh, we want to tell everybody that you can catch us on all your platforms, all your favorite platforms. We know YouTube's really popular. We love it. Uh, Apple podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google, Amazon, 
I don't know, maybe we're on MySpace. I don't know, maybe we're, you know, your favorite song on MySpace. I don't know. But uh, check us out pretty much everywhere on social media. Uh, we're trying to be everywhere uh, that you want to be. Also want to thank Soda Stick as well. It's the home of AWA Unleashed Merchandise. If you see something and it's not Soda Stick and it doesn't have the Soda Stick logo, it's not legit. We've had people that have tried to bootleg, but go to sodastickco.com. You can get your T-shirt, your personalized hoodies. Uh, again, sodastickco.com, AWA Unleashed Podcast. You the, the hoodie is actually kind of cool because it's you can put your, your name, your gimmick right there. Uh, and it, it, it's great. We've got some new T-shirts that are coming up once the uh, the first round of the white ones sell out. So uh, we might be sold out of them, but if not, you might want to get it uh, fairly soon. want to thank 7th Avenue Pizza as well. Uh, the funny thing is, Mick, with uh, 7th Avenue Pizza, I had somebody actually ask me, how many times have I spilled on the show between the drinks and the pizza? And I'm like, it's too many. Because I love 7th Avenue Pizza so much that I like to take it with me on my clothes. You have spilled pizza. Yes. You have spilled soda. Mm -hmm. You have spilled coffee. You have probably tripped over your cat's litter box. You I'm have there, yes. your wife's expensive Persian rug. <laughs> you have done pretty much everything there is to do. Yeah. And, I, and you have spilled the beans on many an occasion about things that maybe, you know, Oh, well, spill, spill the beans. Okay. Just, just, I, just saying. Just saying. Okay. Anyway, for the people that are uh, watching the show right now, first of all, I did a poll or a survey on the Slick Mick old school wrestling page. Mm -hmm. and I said, tell us what you want to see more of, less of, whatever on the podcast, see and hear. The response has been tremendous. And believe me, and Chris has said this many times, we listen to what you're saying. We mm -hmm. take into account your ideas and your suggestions, so keep them coming. Yeah, we've got some some ideas and some things we're going to incorporate. I'm kind of excited about some of these new things that we're going to be able to incorporate because they're going to be a little bit you know, a little bit different, but I think you guys are really going to like it. You know, we just got to flush out a few things, but I think the, the there's enough meat on the bone there, Mick, that I, I feel like some of the things that we can do are, are going to be absolutely great. All right, so that being said, We've got about uh, four minutes here. Let's go ahead and uh, get our, uh, well, we've got our, let's go ahead and first of all, if you've ordered a t-shirt, uh, we've told you, go ahead and send us your pictures, send us, you know, just an idea, you know, you wearing it or whatnot. And here is Scott Jamison from Bloomington, Minnesota. There he is wearing the AWA Unleashed t-shirt and he's uh, got the AWA World Championship belt right there. So uh, there he is right there again. You can send it to uh, to Mick at Mickcarch at Gmail, or I don't know, can they put it on the Slick Mick page? I know that we've got uh, potentially a brand new Facebook page that's going to be coming out, but we're still flushing out the details on that. But if you've got a picture of you wearing your AWA swag, give us your name, give us your hometown, and even your favorite AWA wrestler. Just uh, let us know, and uh, we'll get you on the uh, we'll get you on the show. That being said, I think we got the shout-outs here, Mick, and then we're done. Let's take uh, it on. I want to give a shout-out to an old friend of mine, Ken Jugan. Uh, Ken, who wrestled as Lord Zoltan years ago, uh, one of the early face paint guys in the wrestling business, had an opportunity to see Ken in Waterloo just recently. 
talk about an old school guy, listens to the podcast regularly, just a big, big fan and a great friend. So, Jugan, best to you. All right, and uh, mine's going to go out to uh, Brian Huff, who uh, I've gotten a chance to know via Facebook. And be aware for Brian, because Brian may have something for us that I, I know that it's currently in the work. It, it may have actually gone live by the time this actually uh, posts, because I believe this is airing on August 16th is the drop date. So just I uh, want to thank Brian uh, for uh, his willingness to uh, pitch in on a couple of things. So, Brian, brother, my shout-out uh, goes for you. And that being said, again, follow us on all of our social media platforms, and especially on YouTube, guys. Like, I, I cannot stress enough, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, just go to Chris Tubbs, my page, or AWA Unleashed, because if you subscribe, you rate, review, you comment, that helps us grow. And as we continue to grow, we can continue to, uh, to do more things, including more live shows. We've got one coming up in uh, just a little less than a month in uh, Fergus Falls as part of Below Zero Wrestling. So we've got that. Got a whole lot more. And uh, Mick, it's been fun, man. I I had fun. And I don't know what we're going to do next week. I know we've got a, a few ideas in mind. And I guess we'll figure out as the time goes. But we, we got a lot of good things. And I, I hope people stick around for the direction of AWA Unleashed. I believe they will. And we have gotten positive feedback. You know, we've had, uh, we've had some changes. Uh, just recently, and uh, you know that has kind of spurred us into moving into different directions a little bit. Hang in there with us. You're not going to be disappointed. It's going to be a fun ride, everybody. <laughs>